I'm Reverend J. Stuart Glover, and you are listening to Faith Talk. Today, we again have the privilege of having Stephen Beard with us as we continue our discussion about metabolic health, wellness. And we believe that God is concerned with us holistically and, and spiritually and, and, and taking care of our bodies as well. So, Stephen, I would ask you to come on in and introduce yourself to our listening audience. Thank you, uh, Rev Glover, um, for the introduction. Uh, everyone listening, hello. Um, I'm Stephen Beard, and uh, I am a nutritionist, um, a board-certified health and wellness coach um, and practitioner, um, and a diabetes uh, prevention uh, coach as well. Um, and today we are going to be discussing um, hypertension um, and what it actually is. So hypertension is just a very fancy word for high blood pressure. And uh, high blood pressure is actually, it's when the force um, of your blood is pushing against the walls of your blood vessels um, and it's consistently too high. So that pretty much like just sums up what high blood pressure is. Um, you know, um, two main things that we want to look at are the numbers um, when we get our uh, blood pressure checked. Um, and that would be the diastolic um, and the systolic numbers. And your systolic number is the number that is on the top, um, the upper number. Um, and then you have your diastolic number, um, which is the number that is on the bottom. Um, and pretty much the difference between uh, the two is um, your systolic number is more or less when the blood pumps out of the heart um, and into the arteries that are part of the circulatory system. Um, and then the diastolic pressure, uh, which we refer to as the second force, is created as the heart rests between um, its heartbeats. So that's kind of how we come up with the two numbers uh, for measuring um, blood pressure. And then um, <clears throat> I know you're going to ask where should these numbers fall in to alignment. So a normal blood pressure reading would be less than 120 over 80. So again, the 120 would be the systolic number and then the 80 would be the diastolic number. Um, if you're, believe us, I can anywhere between 120 and 129 for the systolic, uh, we look at it as being elevated <clears throat> and then less than 80 for the bottom number. Um, and then high blood pressure, which would be stage one, would be anything over 130 to 139 for the top number. Um, and then 80 through 89 on the bottom number. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, um, left un, well, before I even get to that, but what, what would be, are there any symptoms that someone would experience um, whose blood pressure is elevated or is it, or is it kind of like a silent um, or no symptoms type of condition? So your blood, high blood pressure or hypertension has been labeled the silent killer. 
And it's been labeled a silent killer because there are no direct symptoms um, that you or I would be able to pay attention to, would be able to feel, um, to know whether our blood pressure is high or not. Um, there could be other symptoms that could be caused from other related situations that could end up leading to high blood pressure, but high blood pressure itself has no direct symptoms. So then again, we this leads us to the importance of of actually having your annual checkups and physicals and getting those numbers from the doctors so they can so you can see what's going on, which comes from your blood work. So left, let's say. Um, the person doesn't go, it's, it's left undetected. And what are some of the risks of, of living, continuing to live with uh, elevated um, blood pressure and you know no dietary changes or anything like that, but just left unchecked? What are some of the risks involved? Awesome question. Um, very, very important um, to know this. So. You know, high blood pressure over a course of time, left undetected or, or uncontrolled or untreated, um, can and will lead to things such as heart attacks, strokes, um, heart failure, uh, kidney disease or failure. Um, something that most people don't even think of, uh, sexual dysfunction. Um, high blood pressure can lead to erectile dysfunction in men, and it can contribute um, to lower libido in women. And I know um, from a medical perspective, um, when a male <clears throat> um, is not like a diabetic, but they are experiencing symptoms of ED, erectile dysfunction, one of the first things that they will check um, is blood pressure. And nine times out of 10, um, that male individual ends up discovering, or that's when they discover um, that they do have high blood pressure. And so when, you know, I, I hear of people um, being prescribed um, water pills, is it? Oh, you can be prescribed a lot of different things for high blood pressure. And um, the water pills, is that, that's one of them? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> left unchecked, high blood pressure can lead to a lot of um, health failures, right? Um, so my next question, is there a hereditary component identified, you know, your family history? Does this have anything to do with it or... Or does is it true that just because my father had high blood pressure, I have to have it? Or, or is that a, a myth <clears throat> or partially true? So what I can say based off of research is that genes or genetics can play some role in high blood pressure, just like it can play um, a role in like heart disease and other related conditions. But... However, and I really, really want to stress this. However, the reason why you see this occurring from generation to generation to generation is because I want us to be able to take a step back and look at things with a different lens. 
Um, you know, look outside of our box. And the reason why I want us to do this is because, yes, there may be a family history of high blood pressure or other related conditions, but it is mostly solely because there is a shared common environment and other potential factors that increase the risk from generation to generation. And what I mean by that is common environments, for example, eating behaviors. You know, do you eat the same types of foods that you were raised on as a child that your parents and grandparents do? And if that answer is yes, then it's not necessarily going to be genetic. It's more that you're cultivating the same type of environment that your parents and grandparents lived in that caused them to have high blood pressure. So it's now going to cause you, you know, to end up having high blood pressure as well. I love, um, I love that. I love that explanation. As a person of faith, I often hear <clears throat> some some teaching that I don't necessarily agree with in the spiritual world. Or, or, you know, where people talk about generational curses, and I I'm like, well, wait a second. Is it a generational curse, or is this just a learned behavior that you've carried on over from generation to generation? So, I um, I really appreciate that answer that you just gave. Um, so let's let's see now. The, my next question is, um, what would be some of the, or is there a a component, a psychological component, that can contribute to um, elevated blood pressure levels? Um, a psychological component. I would have to say yes, there is. Um, from a medical perspective, I really couldn't speak to that too much, mm -hmm. but I would have to say when you're looking at it from a psychology perspective, if you're creating certain types of situations in your head that is going to cause you to get stressed, that is going to apply stressors to the body internally, then of course that is going to end up elevating, um, you know, your blood pressure. Um, and if you, from, I'm thinking of it from a psychology perspective, and if you continue creating that type of environment, then you would end up putting yourself into a position where you're continuously under stress. Um, and stress does lead to high blood pressure. Um, but that's pretty much all I can speak of. Um, from a psychology um, component, mm -hmm. um, high blood pressure. Right. So, I mean, <clears throat> it could be anything that serves as a stress or condition has the potential, I guess, to, Correct. to, to uh, raise your blood pressure levels. It could be the work that you do. Um, if you're in a really stressful or toxic environment, that could all can contribute, contribute to your elevated, um, it has the potential to contribute to elevated um, blood pressure levels how about getting to food and drink how about this um uh coffee and caffeine intake good question <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me so caffeine has its health benefits mm -hmm. um and i actually just had this conversation with one of my patients the other day so coffee when, if you read about it, you will read that coffee can 
increase your blood pressure. But when you actually look at coffee, <clears throat> what is the key ingredient in coffee? And then this is the caffeine. So is it truly, honestly, the coffee that is increasing um, blood pressure or is it the caffeine that is in the coffee? Because decaffeinated coffee does not or has not been shown to have an increase in blood pressure, but regular coffee does. Um, so that just leads me to say it's more of the caffeine um, that is in the coffee than the actual coffee itself. Mm -hmm. So then those, uh, again, I think we talked about this before, those, before, those energy drinks, <clears throat> which are pretty much loaded with caffeine, certainly uh, would be dangerous for somebody who's experiencing elevated blood pressure levels or on the trajectory of getting there. Oh, most definitely, yes. Yes. So then, let's, um, if we can, can we talk a little bit about managing, um, managing hypertension? Of course. Um, one of my favorite topics. Um, <clears throat> so some of the things that we really want to be able to, to do, and I'm going to talk about lifestyle changes. So we have to be willing to make changes in our current life that is going to matter and make a difference. Um, and some of those, you know, eating a well-balanced diet um, that is low in salt, and then I'll come back to that in a second. Um, some other things, uh, like we've discussed in um, other podcasts, is regular physical activity. So as we continue to discuss in each podcast about metabolic health, exercise is going to be a major component and it's going to be consistent as well as improving your eating behaviors and your food quality and, and, and all of these topics. Um, managing your stress, you know, like we just talked about, um, stress management is going to be key um, in keeping your blood pressure <clears throat> um, at bay. Um, maintaining a healthy weight you know, making sure that we're not overweight or obese um, because that is going to play not only a factor in high blood pressure, but also in metabolic syndrome, um, which we have talked about um, previously as well. Um, if you smoke, we need to stop smoking. Um, if you are currently, you know, on medication um, for um, hypertension, just making sure that you continue taking your uh, medications as you work on improving um, your lifestyle changes um, in hopes of eventually weaning yourself off, you know, of the medications. Um, and then most importantly, you know, making sure that you are creating a relationship and working with your, your healthcare professionals. Um, you know, if you are seeing someone uh, because of the hypertension, but to get back to the food, because I know this is a big topic for you, um, you know, 2,300 milligrams is what the um, American Heart Association recommends on a daily basis for sodium intake um, in our diet. <clears throat> now, anyone who is on the verge or the cusp of um, hypertension or someone who has been diagnosed with hypertension 
we really want to cut the 2300 milligrams down to 1500 milligrams um, and of course the lower the better so if we can get lower than 1500 milligrams of sodium a day then we're doing our hearts um, and our body um, you know a big 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 service so when we're talking about eating a balanced diet <laughs> want to make sure that we're eating foods that are rich like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, um, low-fat dairy products, skinless poultry and fish. So without the skin because the skin is fat. Um, eat your nuts and legumes and then um, your oils. So we want to make sure that we're sticking to like um, olive oils and um, avocado oils. Um, and even coconut oil as well. Mm -hmm. And then we want to make sure that we limit red meats, mm -hmm. um, saturated and trans fats, which now goes into, you know, the standard American diet, which is the heavily processed types of foods, um, fatty meats as well, um, alcohol, um, and then any item that has added sugar, um, including sugar-sweetened beverages. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, <clears throat> I've noticed um, some people, and I guess this might just be a, a, a habit of muscle memory, but some people will actually, you know, if you're in a restaurant, you sit down, you're watching the table across from you, and a guy sits down, his food comes. Before he even tastes it, he's got his hand on a salt shaker <laughs> and is adding salt to food that he hasn't even tasted. So I think... Um, uh, this reaching for the salt can can also be a learned behavior that we need to be conscious of and and think. I believe, I believe it is a learned behavior for most. I mean, I guess I have to be thankful, <clears throat> being diagnosed as a type one diabetic um, at a younger age, uh, because I don't cook with salt. I don't eat things with salt in it. Um, you know, or anything like that. But I do notice when I do go out to meet some friends out, you know, that's the first thing. And it's, it's funny because when I go out to a restaurant and I don't eat at restaurants solely because they prepare everything, including their vegetables and some kind of seasoning that is always loaded with salt. Mm -hmm. And um, I will never forget this. I asked the waitress, I was like, what do you have on the menu? that is salt free. And she sat there and laughed at me and she's like, <laughs> why are you being so boring for? She's like, why do you not want to eat something that has salt in it? And then, you know, I went through my spill trying to educate her and all this other stuff. And, and at the end of the day, she was like, you just need to live a little and enjoy all that salt. Wow. So, you know, I, I just think it's, it's something that's standard here in this country. Um, because there's many other countries, you know, you can go and there's hardly any salt used, mm. you know, for seasoning or anything like that. But it's, it's a huge problem, you yeah. know, here in the, in, in the U.S. So there are, I mean, again, if we're trying to get somebody to maybe reduce their salt intake and they have difficulty changing their habits immediately, cold turkey all at once, are there different choices? I guess there are different choices in terms of the salt that you actually buy. Um, it's that some salts are advertised as low sodium or sea salt. So, um, is there a better choice? Um, 
Some people are going to say yes, there is. Others are going to say no, there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you have iodine salt. Our body needs iodine. Mm-hmm. Um, so iodine salt is more or less like table salt. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have a pinch, and what I mean by a pinch is literally putting a little sprinkle of it in your hand and just sprinkling it on top of your food, that is going to be okay because the body needs you know, some iodine salt. And salt is, you know, an electrolyte. So we want to make sure that our electrolytes, you know, stay, um, you know, at equilibrium as well. But yes, you do have sea salt and then you have other types of salts. Um, I don't want to say they are a better option because at the end of the day, salt is salt. Right. Um, It's either kosher or it's not kosher. Yeah, kosher, not kosher. We have black salt. We got Baltic salt. We got, I mean, at the end of the day, it is all salt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want to be coherent, um, you know, just about, you know, our entire salt intake. And the way to actually fix that, do you know what I'm going to say? No. <laughs> Please tell me more. <laughs> the way to fix that, and you've heard me say this before in previous um uh, discussions is eating more of a plant-based whole food diet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every single metabolic illness disease that we are discussing all reverts back to improving through a more plant-based whole food type of eating um, and um, I'm not sure. Have you ever heard of the Dash eating plan before? I think I was just reading something. Um, t- tell tell <clears throat> me about it. I did see it, and I, I kind of glossed over it. Yeah. So the Dash eating plan is actually a diet um, that the American Heart Association <clears throat> came up with a while ago. Um, and Dash stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. So it is literally, I refer to it as an eating plan, um, not a diet. So it's more or less an eating plan that's designed to help you manage your blood pressure. Um, And it really focuses more on plant-based types of food. So your fruits, your vegetables, your whole grains, um, low-fat dairy products. Um, Like I already said, your skinless poultry and fish. Um, It literally... Um, minimizes red meat, um, obviously your sodium intake, um, your saturated fats and trans fats and all of that other stuff. Uh, but if there's anyone listening who has never heard um, of the DASH eating plan or the DASH diet, I would really suggest to uh, look it up, do some research, um, or even ask your doctor about it. I'm hoping he or she will know what it actually is. Um, because that is a very successful way um, to, to be honest with you, we all should be eating um, this way um, to prevent um, hypertension, um, high cholesterol, um, and other metabolic illnesses and diseases. But it's, it's very, very um, successful with uh, managing the blood pressure. You know, I just had a thought of something that I, w- I never buy. And, you know, maybe some people do. But if you go in a supermarket and you see something like a meat product that's been seasoned in the store, <laughs> I would never mm. buy it. 
simply because you know salt has been known to be in used in some preservative capacity, right? And yep. uh, and um, sometimes the food that you're getting, sometimes even in a restaurant, um, may have been on the verge of you know being spoiled, or had, at least heading in that direction rapidly, and and the salt, the oversalting of it is used to disguise that. Um, and that's rather disgusting, but it happens. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, so you know, a business is a business, and they're going to do what they can to preserve their um, supply, their inventory, and sometimes salt is part of that. And you know, it might taste good, but it's actually disguising the the um, the spoiling of the food. So we you know, just be conscious of of what you're looking at. So therefore, if I go in a supermarket. I wouldn't buy it anyway, but I see um, things like um, meatballs that are that are raw meat, but they're heavily seasoned already. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind, I'm very suspicious as to the um, the integrity of this product that's heavily seasoned that they get. What are they What are they covering up? You know, so very very good point. You brought up a very good point. And if I could just add to something, because you just brought something um, to intuition with me. Um, seasoning. So, you know, a lot of us will go to the supermarket and we may say, okay, I'm going to buy frozen vegetables, um, but I'm going to buy frozen vegetables that are seasoned because they're going to taste better. Mm -hmm. We always want to make sure that we are looking at the food label because like you said, most of the seasonings is going to have some sort of salt or sodium in it. And if you're buying something that you think is going to be um, quote unquote healthier for you, um, like vegetables, but then you're buying them that are seasoned, they're not going to be that great for you because they're going to be loaded with a lot of sodium. So it's best to make sure that you buy your food plain and then buy your own fresh herbs um, and season yourself to keep Amen. the sodium intake low. Amen. Season yourself to keep the sodium intake low. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming in again. You always add value to these conversations. Um, you've been listening to Faith Talk. I'm Reverend J. Stuart Glover. I would encourage you to visit the website at www.reverendjstuartglover.com. And there you can um, <clears throat> sign up as a recipient on the mailing list. You can Contact me directly by email or even leave me a voicemail, as well as seeing all the episodes that you may have missed with Stephen Beard. Uh, Stephen, could you tell us about your new um, website that's in under construction or being developed, the new name of your company and, and uh, all of those things? Sure. So um, my the name of my new company or that it's evolved is Holistic um, Synergy. Um, so, uh, as the name, you know, uh, represents itself, uh, I mainly focus on, um, holistic wellness, um, and functional wellness as well. And, uh, my website is under construction. Um, so as soon as it is um, up and running, then I will be able to, uh, pass that information um, along to everyone. But in the meantime, um, I can be reached if anyone has any questions or would like to reach out to me just to have a conversation um, through any of the podcasts. Um, you can reach me by email. Um, so that would be Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, um, 
at metabolic health. Um, so metabolic health is all one word um, at, um, sorry, dot com. So Stephen at metabolichealth.com. Um, or you can even send me a text message um, and I'll go ahead and, you know, uh, give my number out. Uh, so it's 305-467-8781. Amen. Well, Stephen, thanks a lot. And thank you to our listening audience for being part of this uh being part of this, these discussions and listening in, uh, what is becoming uh, and leaving, we're leaving, beginning to leave a global footprint. So thank you once again. God bless you and be well in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs>